0: Yo, welcome back. Feel like it's been a minute. Um, we have some huge, huge podcasts coming up. Um, Yeah, UFC champion TJ Dillashaw, Aubrey Marcus, uh, Brad from Dispatch. Insane, insane. This podcast literally started as... Uh, you know, an effort to give me something to do while I was home during COVID, and it's turned into a pretty huge passion of mine. I'm really, uh, I get a lot from these conversations, and I hope you do as well. Um, anywho, today on the podcast, we have Nathan from Ayaterra. Uh Nathan and I have always kind of been on like a, it's it's weird, we... we I've only got to hang out in person like once or twice and each time was very brief because we were at festivals and just the crazy nature of being backstage at a festival. Um, so it was really cool to drop in, but I've just always known him and I would hit it off and that, that there was a vibe there. And we're kind of on similar trajectories just in different scenes. So it was really cool to chat with him because over the past few years, we've kind of been like watching and, uh, and learning about each other from afar. But both of us just knowing that the vibe was there. Um, So it was cool to actually uh, get to chop it up with him. But we go in on a lot, a lot about the industry, what it's like when you're starting out and trying to get some shit off the ground. And, um, you know, we both been through that. So, um, yeah, without further ado, here's Mr. Nathan Feinstein. Nathan, welcome to the Satsang Podcast, dude. How are you? Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm freaking stoked to be here. Um, Yeah. I'm doing great, dude doing great it's beautiful morning yeah here here it is snowing and it's about 20 degrees jesus already yeah dude it typically starts right before i go hunting always we never get that last little bit of warm when it's time to hunt it always gets real wet and shitty Mm. Um, and then it will do this until may trip out yeah Well, here
1: in my malibu beach mansion in california (laughs) Beautiful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I bet. It's a good time of year out there. So did, you, did you grow up in LA area? Um,
1: first of all, that was completely a joke. I don't live in a Malibu beach. And I, live, <laughs> I live in a beautiful little city called La Habra. Um, but no, nah, man, I, I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada. And um, I moved to LA when I was 20 years old to give up on music and go to college.
0: Ah. Yeah. All right, dude. So I'm really excited to have you on because um for a couple reasons. One, we like know each other but we don't really know each other. I think this is like the second time we've ever spoken. Totally. <laughs> totally. I mean and, <laughs> and, and the last time was at Shang and you guys had yeah. gotten there like literally 40 minutes before Yo. you were supposed to play, so like full on yeah. set up and go.
1: It was so brutal. Shang was brutal for us, man. For me, yeah. at least.
0: Yeah, because you guys didn't really go to bed before, right? Because you had we, to like red eye there. We had the red eye. We were in the middle of a tour. It was one of
1: those like fly in, in the middle of a tour kind of vibes. And um, we partied a little bit the night before. So me and my drummer were like struggling in the airport and just kind of, just kind of made our way, you know. Luckily, the vibes at Shang were way cool, and everything was was nice. But um, it's I'm sure you know it's always weird when you like fly in and don't have your gear too. So I hate
0: it, dude. It's rough. Yeah. It's rough. You know what's it's really rough. weird too is I don't. You know I'm not a phenomenal guitar player. I very seldom do any sort of lead stuff. But even if I'm playing a backline amp, that's the same. Yeah. Is my amp? I'm like, that's not my shit, dude. I can hear it. You I can know, tell that's a, not my shit. Yeah, there's a vibe that your amp holds. Like you wrote
1: songs that you love on it, and it holds some kind of magic in there. I couldn't agree more. Because on the backlines, I'm always like, yeah, anything Fender, I'm good with. And like, ideally, that would be true. But <laughs> I don't know. You're so right. Like sometimes yeah. it just uh, sounds it's wonky. not the same. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think even- also. Like, sorry. I think also those backline amps
0: that they usually get are just being brutalized regularly, though. <laughs> True. So, like, True. Uh, you know. Yeah, it's weird because I even have my settings. You know, on my on the Deluxe Reverb mm-hmm. 68 Reissue, three five eight.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Plug into input one. Is that one. what your
1: settings are? Three five eight. Yep.
0: Yep. <laughs> yeah. And I've plugged into backline 68 reissues, and I'm like, nah, dude, this does not sound like my amp. It's yeah. Weird. It's weird for me too because I like we, we recently switched over to Kemper. So, like, we're
1: all digital now, and like the fly dates are a breeze now. It's beautiful. And like, I totally get where most people are coming from, like, most gearheads that are like, yeah, you can never do like the same shit digital as you can with a real amp. And that's totally true. But like, for what we do, playing a, a different show in a different city every single night, like, I'm all about using an amp in the studio, make it dope, or when our production gets a little bit bigger and we can have a fucking like a great. Like backup amps, backup shit, like, you know, um, but for right now it's like we fly and I have like a little lunch box with my pedal board in it and I like, I carry it on. So what's the Kemper
0: thing? Do you just go DI and then you have like a...
1: So it's the same thing as any like little cheapy digital pedalboard except uh-huh. for the fact it's like german engineered so it's super prime and they're kind of like claim to fame is that it's an amp profiler so like you could plug in your 68 reissue and and play some licks on it and it'll recognize those frequencies and it will mod- it'll model a digital version of that amp so you'll have like as close to that tone as you can in a digital Ooh. form it's crazy dude it's crazy you know and i'm i'm like you man i'm like a like, I don't dig that deep into guitars. So I love to just set it and forget it. Like, I find what I like, and I'm like, cool, I'm good with this. Yep. I used the same amp for so long. Um, but, yeah, man, this thing's just easy. And then it's great for the fly-ins, too, because you just boop, pop it in, and you don't feel like you're lacking anything. Like, my entire set is there. All my effects are dialed in. Everything's good to go.
0: Yeah, our lead guitar player plays through a 78 Super Reverb. And if he plays through anything else, he's just like, man... This is bullshit. We're weird, dude. Guitar <laughs> players are so weird. <laughs> but it's like it's a vibe though. You
1: have to feel comfy, you know? You do. Yep.
0: Yeah, I uh it's funny people ask that question all the time, right? Do you like club shows or festivals more? And I mean, obviously the energy at festivals is unbeatable. But dude, yeah, there's something about being like this is my rig, this is uh-huh. you know, everything is like, my the full trade. crew is here, Yeah, like,
1: this is a nightly routine, and then the festivals, that routine kind of gets broken up, and, like, yeah. there's so many variables, dude, especially being smaller bands like ourselves, like, yep. we get thrown into the fire, and it's, like, make it you happen, have 30 man. minutes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. So, there's a band before you and the band after you. There's five-minute changeover. You know, you got the drunk stage techs that are just like, hey, man, like, just plug in here,
0: like, <laughs> yep. fuck, man. Dude, here's a random question before we get into the story of Ayaterra. Why do you think, why do you think like 80% of sound guys are so grumpy all the time? (laughs) I have a theory and God bless them. First of all, God bless them.
1: Um, because I'm sure like in, we've, we've both encountered some amazing ones that you're like, dude, I would take you on tour right now if you wanted to go. Um, but I think that like a lot of them, had dreams of becoming musicians or touring musicians and such, you know? Um, So then, you know, that was like the plan B was like, I'll just run sound. I still get to work with music. And then, you know, depending on the certain triggers that they have, like, maybe you look like their old singer that like jaded them or their old drummer or something, you know, you never know. I have an identical theory.
0: That's always what i thought
1: as well. I think that's the logical thing you know because like if music didn't work out for me i would still do something in music i I probably wouldn't do sound because i'm not like that big on like audio shit but like but i i would do something in music and i might be an old spiteful man when i'm 50 and be like that bastard he's not even that good i could do that yeah (laughs) totally
0: yeah that's such a funny objective thing you know i used to be kind of like you know uh semi-judgmental of of certain bands where i'm like Oh well, I don't get it, dude, cuz I don't think they're that good. Right. And they sell 3,000 tickets a night. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, I think Taylor Swift sucks too I and mean, she's worth, you know,
1: 300 yeah. million
0: dollars. So what the fuck do I know?
1: There's just yeah.
0: a, there's a lot to
1: unpack on all those scenarios, you know what I mean? I think it's it's best for us just as humans to not do that and obviously you've learned that cuz you said you used to, you know. And there comes yeah. a point I think when you're just like well, this shit ain't getting me anywhere. Like, I'm just gonna focus my, like, on
0: my own shit. Yep. Yeah,
1: man. Like, and you hear it from all the wise musicians who we tend to look up to. It's like, man, if you if you think about anything else except what you're doing, you're you're setting yourself up for loss. You know, because I mean, we, there's just nothing to be gained from from comparing. You know, no
0: waste of time.
1: But you can't. You always can. Like, I can yeah. look at anything and be like, "Fuck, man!" Like, what? You know, anything. I don't care what. Like it's human nature we look at shit and we're like why
0: mm-hmm. you know but yeah especially I think when you're an artist it's um I don't know you're almost like taught to do it right because like as you're trying to become better you're like you know you're whether you're it's like fucking comparing your guitar skills to like man I just want to have a touch like this guy and I just want yeah, yeah. a tone like this guy and yeah. I don't want people no. to react to my lyrics like this guy But yeah, I think you hit a certain stage where you're just like, for us, it was when we started selling tickets that I was just like, okay, well, none of this matters. I'm clearly on my own path here. Yeah. I'm just gonna run this shit.
1: I think it's like a fundamental part of like, I always, I have this theory too, man, of like, you know, when people start out doing something, whether it's music or jujitsu or anything, like our mind tricks us into thinking we're better than we are. And it has Mm -hmm. to do that because if we knew that we sucked, we probably wouldn't pursue it, you know? Yeah. So you look at the kids, like, especially as adults, when you're a kid, like, you're allowed to suck at stuff. You're learning, you know? But when you're an adult, it's like, imagine trying to learn another language, and you're like, dude, I'm awful at this. Like, this is so hard, I don't wanna do this anymore. So I think our mind kind of, like, I think it's a good thing. I think it's part of, like, our makeup, you know, to be like, oh, well, I'm actually like, this song's okay, it's pretty good, even though you look back four years later, and I guess god-awful. Yeah. You know, but it helps us in the pursuit of getting better,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. That's my. That's actually probably my favorite thing about fighting and combat sports, is it's just real absolute. Is yeah. That it's like, yeah. um yeah. Your opinion on how good you are it is easily find outable. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like, you're
1: getting knocked out or choked out if you. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's just really pure. There's no like, you know, very rarely is opinion matter after it's all said and done it's like yeah we either won or lost
1: i love that so much man and like i I, it's so funny man i was like thinking i have to tell you this story like i I came to this podcast with at least one story that i have to tell you okay because if you remember like right before the pandemic hit i texted you and i'm like hey bud i'm going to my first jujitsu class i remember because a lot of people that i look up to and respect they're like have some sort of background in fighting and for me like i never played sports as a kid i was i've been playing music since i was 10 sports never appealed to me at all sure um you know and then as i now like as i'm getting a little bit older i'm like you know what man i think that there's like a lot of good things to be gained from i don't know competitive sports like obviously there's some toxicity that comes along with it and you see it fuck up a lot of young men you know um but at the same time there's also pros so it's like it's all about finding a healthy balance anyways i i wanted to learn jujitsu so um i went to this spot like five minutes from my pad they offer like hey first first session's free most of Mm -hmm. them do um and so i show up and i'm like nervous dude because i'm like i don't know what i'm getting myself into you know i put on the gi like i put on all this shit. i've never worn anything like that in my life i feel Mm -hmm. like i look like gumby i'm wearing a gi probably too yeah. big for you yeah just just at, just kind of the whole thing was kind of ridiculous because this spot was was a joke and so i walk in and i meet with a guy first of all it's a ghost town it's a small little spot in like a shopping mall or like what do they call it? like a shopping uh like a strip strip mall. mall yeah dude yeah and i show up and it's completely empty and i'm like H- hello like shouting back and then i just hear this voice like oh, I'll come back i go it's like a fucking 17-year-old kid running the place because, like, his uncle owns it. And he's like, what's up, dude? I'm Tyler or whatever his name was. Oh, like, no. Oh, I'm going to teach you today, man. And, you, like, there was, like, this weird thing where, like, because I was older than him and I, like, am kind of a large guy. Like, I think he had this kind of vibe that was kind of, like, maybe, like, in, I felt like I was intimidating him. And I don't know why because I'm, like, a very friendly guy. And I'm like, hey, man, like, I'm really excited to, like, do this class. And he was just like, yeah, for sure, brother, for sure. Um, anyways, so he gives me the gear and we get into it, and it's literally just me and him, like in this whole. I'm thinking I'm going to know a new class with like ten dudes, like who are like experienced and like gonna show me shit. It's gonna be like everybody that does jujitsu is like, man, the community is like great, you know? Yeah. So I go and I'm like, what community? <laughs> so
0: yeah, yeah. I'm just here
1: with this 17 year old kid who wants to beat my ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so, um, so we start like he starts showing me some warm ups, and then this kid strolls in, this other kid who's like a super nerdy, like, like an anime kid. and he's Oh like, yeah,
0: they can be dangerous. <laughs> yeah, and he comes in and he's like, yeah man, I've been training
1: here for like four months, but I got injured, but like whatever. So we start warming up. I almost break my neck right off the bat because we're doing these like rolls, like where mm-hmm. you like roll across the mat to like warm up and shit. Yeah, The dude gave me no instruction. He wasn't like, hey, roll over your shoulder. So me, like I'm not an athletic guy. I just rolled straight back like on my neck. Oh no. <laughs> and he saw me do it and I'm like, oh fuck and he's like hey dude like roll try to roll like to the side to your shoulder and i'm like would have been good information to know 10 fucking minutes ago yeah Yeah. (laughs) so anyway the whole class continues i find out that they call this anime kid applesauce because he blows chunks every time he trains his nickname was applesauce oh jesus Um, and I'm just ro- like, and so pretty much I learned absolutely nothing in like 30 minutes. And the guy's like, all right, man, you ready to, uh, to roll or to spar or whatever it was? And I was like, yeah, I guess so. And it pretty much was just me trying to lay on the guy to keep him from choking me out, uh, which he eventually did.
0: Like- oh, man. <laughs> it was god awful, man. Yeah, my, was- <laughs> my first time going to the grindhouse was like the exact opposite. It was beautiful and like well- sublime. Uh, Intense. Still mm-hmm. more nervous than I've ever been in my whole life because there, there's such a reputation of the grindhouse.
1: Yeah, I've heard of it. Maybe I've only heard of it from you, but I yeah. feel like it's also a rep, like a reputable...
0: Yeah, word. yeah. So, I mean, in, yeah, the western half of the United States, dude, it's like, you know, Will makes fucking fighters. And I wonder if we have <laughs> one out here. No, no, you don't. There's only uh-huh. two now. We just opened one here in Red Lodge. Um, But you know ever i just knew most of the dudes compete internationally um lots of mma you know so like i go in being like oh i think i'm just going to do boxing and yeah. i go in and there's two 185ers in the cage going 100 fucking percent like they are fucking cracking you're each other you're like second them. guessing yourself like do yeah. i really like <laughs> Yeah, and Will's like, yeah, man, you know, do the bag. Here's when we have classes. Yeah. So I was just like, all right, I guess I like go over to the speed bag and I like have no fucking clue what I'm doing. Um, but everybody, as they would kind of walk by, would give me like a little pointer. Like, hey, man, stand a little further away from the bag. See, hey, that's man, the vibe. Get the bag bro. like this, yeah. Yeah. But it was still, I could feel like I was an outsider. Uh huh. And... You know, it's a really hard thing the first few months because you just have to keep fucking showing up because mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. turnover rate, especially for white belts in jujitsu and blue belts, even they drop off like flies, man. Guilty. Yeah. But there was also a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, and and also sounds like a really fucking weird school. So it was um, so
1: bad, but like I texted or I I texted my drummer after because. Um, my drummer is like an undefeated MMA guy. No and shit? Dude, you guys you guys should link. Uh, he oh. doesn't really do it anymore because he's almost the opposite of me. Like when he was growing up, he was like- Super he, athlete. Yeah, like he always played music, but like as a side thing. Like, sure. oh, I'll just do this with my friends. Um, but he trained fighting from, I don't know, he's still young, I think he's like 24 now. So, But he was doing his real fighting stint like for about four years or something like that in Bakersfield. And I think he's still holding some titles out there. He's a fucking badass, dude. Yeah,
0: dude. California is no joke to be fighting MMA, even as an amateur. That's I texted serious. him
1: and told him that story, and he's like, "Dude, fuck that gym. Fuck and that he sent place." Me, yeah. He, he sent me like ten, and was like, "Yeah, here. dude.
0: California, really? Anywhere in California is such a hotbed for great jujitsu. And really, what's cool is when you find, you kind of get like three things that happen. You get, um." Buddies that are also white belts that are new. So you're kind of going through this awkward learning process together. Yeah, yeah. And then you have dudes that are blue belts that you're just like, cause when you first start, the blue belt seems super unattainable. And you're like, okay, cool. This guy's like, we'll give you little tips here and there. And then you have a higher belt that like, you know, becomes like your mentor. Um, yeah, yeah. And the, But it takes a school, it takes a good school. But all of yeah. those dynamics are present in a good school, you know? i'm gonna for sure get back into it it was such weird timing because it was like
1: you know i already had scheduled a consultation at like the next gym like one of the ones my and then literally because what happened was we were on tour all of february until the first week of march so we got back from tour like march 6th and then by march 15th the world was just different yeah so i i probably went to that first jujitsu thing like the 10th or something and i was like "Okay, okay that is not the move let me find another one and booked it. And then it was like, we're all closed. And then like, I saw you, you've been back in training and shit like that. But out here, it's like, California is still real shut down. And also me not being that into jujitsu yet, still just having like a, a innocent curiosity for it. I'm like, I don't know if I want to be like, breathed on by strangers. right? Yeah, now. no, yeah, <laughs>
0: especially in a place as populated as California. You know, I'm blessed. Yeah. That a lot of the dudes that I train with, um, you know, they grow weed, Dude, that's one
1: thing I wanted to ask you about because I wanted to ask you about like you see a lot of people migrating and shit. Like they're all saying everyone's migrating from blue states and shit to like Texas or Montana. Mm-hmm. Are you I seeing that? Wouldn't. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I'm sure.
0: Um, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean the winter will weed them out. Um, yeah, always yeah. does. But yeah, dude, real estate here is crazy right now. Like people are buying shit without even seeing it. Yeah, in cash. They'll call a realtor and say, Hey, I want this house. Uh, I'll send a check. I'll take it. Well, if you're smart, you just buy it now, even if you have no intention of living there and then wait for
1: some other yuppie to want to buy it from you and make a a few bucks on it. Yeah. What
0: sucks is someone that like, dude, I just, you know, became able to be in the market for a house and it's really fucking hard. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Awful timing. Right.
0: Yeah, totally. But um, again, dude, you know, I, I live in a small little resort town where, you know, probably 60% of the houses are lived in two or three weeks out of the year, anyway. That's nice. Yeah. So it's like the winter here is different. It's not brutal cold like people think, it's a fuck ton of snow, though. Like, it's, yeah. um, yeah, it's a full time job. And if you don't move it once, like, you can't take a storm off. Like, if the snow in your driveway or on your property solidifies, it's there until May. Like you're it's staying no, there. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking there. Um, so yeah. oh, most people aren't really into that. You did, know? You, did you grow up in Montana? Well, I was born in Billings and then mm. moved to the Midwest when I was in, moved to Des Moines when I was in like second grade. And then That's I moved our to last Chicago show. when I was 16. Oh yeah? Our last show for everything At Woolies? Des Moines. Yeah. yeah. Who, are you, who are you on tour with?
1: Uh, we were out with Iration and Valley who nice um, and that was it's it's awful, dude It was such a bad show for me. My guitar went out first first lick like I walk on stage with the guitar Gum and then the whole thing was it was it was a nightmare and it's Just ironic because like that's the last show that I'll play for God knows how long <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, dude, you know, what what are you guys planning for? Do you guys have dates for spring set up
1: that mm-hmm. you're
0: hoping happen? Well, the next thing on the books is just the reschedule of
1: the badass summer tour we were supposed to do this year with Stick Figure and all that. Oh, right. You know, so that that was going to be this summer and um, they just postponed it for another year. So that's like the next thing that's actually on our books. However, I don't know how concrete like the reschedules are, you know, because I feel like as a booking agent right now you kind of have to wonder like is it worth going through the trouble of solidifying like i'm sure they're all holding it right but like who knows man because it's an amphitheater tour so it's like three like a couple thousand a night so dude i
0: actually think that and and i i don't know shit, but i think that the outdoor shows are going to be the first to come back
1: dude they look awesome yeah like even the ones now like the drive-ins they look dude Me and my girl went out to a drive-in movie, um, like, a couple months back, and I just remember I was sitting there, and it was, like, a super nice vibe, and I'm looking at the stage, and this was before drive-ins were, like, they're kind of, like, being normalized now, like, a lot of people doing them. But I remember sitting there and being like, dude, if a band was about to come on, I'd be hyped. Like this feels like a show experience. You know, I'm totally. just sitting here outside, like yep. I got my own beers, you could bring your beers in, whatever. Yep. and whatever, and, and you're just hanging out. And it seemed like a really cool idea, like this could work, this is like entertaining.
0: Well, there's a lot of bands that got on that shit quick, dude. This jam band Goose, man. They've been killing fucking drive-in shows. They're incredible, man. I know, dude. It's so funny because we had two festivals with them last summer Mm. where we played back-to-back. And we just kind of buddied up, you know, not even closely similar music. But I guess a couple of them went to Berkeley, and my guitar player and drummer both graduated from Berkeley. So it seems like every band we run into, they're like, they know somebody in the band. Yeah, Um, yeah. That's but, cool. yeah, dude, they really have done a good job of staying active. And it's, it's cool, because there's a lot of bands. It kind of felt like, you know, I thought of you guys often, because the thing that's funny about Satsung and Ayaterra was we were both kind of doing on, like, the same trajectory, but kind of in different scenes, you know, where yeah. we were, like, just coming out of the opening for huge bands phase
1: mm-hmm.
0: and headlining our own tours and having them go well which is like the most exciting phase in a band where you're like oh my god we're doing it by ourselves holy fuck and you then know? and the then <sighs> yeah i know dude but it's it's strange man it's really strange do you but um, I'm sh- i'm sure if you've seen streaming data though like our streams have gone up i'm sure you know i don't yeah. think the excitement for any given band has gone anywhere I think the weird thing, man, that I've, like, uh, talking to a couple buddies and shit was, like,
1: releasing stuff, you know, it's hard to gauge the reaction from fans because usually, you know, like, you put out a record or you put out a song or whatever, and then you get to play it for people and see if yes. they're genuinely enjoying Because I feel like with streams and things like that, if you have a good team behind you, they're going to get you streams regardless. It could be the worst fucking song in the world and you put it out and you got a great team and they're just like, hey, listen to this, listen, and then it gets all these numbers. But like, like we put out a tune in June that I was like very proud of. I I love the song. It was one of the favorite, like my most favorites I ever wrote. And the streams are incredible, but it almost feels like it's just floating out there in the ether because we've never played it live. I've never felt fans singing it with me. I've never seen how it works as a closer to a set. You know what I mean? Like,
0: yeah, that's like the number one litmus test for a song too, is are people singing it live.
1: Yeah, and, like, that's that's how you know if it's really that profound of one of your songs. Like, is it really, like, if you think of this song as one of your best tunes, but then you go out on stage and you close with it, and everyone's fucking like, all right, well, then you know it's, it's like, just a tune you love. It's, it doesn't necessarily resonate that well with everybody else.
0: Yeah, dude, it's funny how that works, too. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, I Am is just a song that I don't, the only reason I like it is because everybody else likes it. Dude, you know, I mean, I that's the song that I found you guys
1: through. Right. That's, everyone that's the Sat song song, right? You know, until yeah, you totally. guys write the next I am, you know what I mean?
0: I know, and it's such a funny thing because it's like, you know, you just don't know what the fuck that's gonna be. Yeah, like, I, you know, know, there's there's a song that on the next record that's not gonna be a single that I feel like is the most vulnerable song I've written since then. So I'm like, maybe this will be the one, but it's really weird because like I just had Tim Kennedy on the podcast, you know, and I feel like we've made a gang of dope shit since 2016, And, um, you know, oddly enough when I reach out to someone that I like super look up to and want to have on the podcast and connect with when they Google that song, that's the song that's going to come up of course. And he right away was like, dude, this is super fucking dope, man. This is really oh, yeah. cool. And I'm like, it's a great song.
1: Yeah. We recorded
0: yeah. it in a fucking bedroom with one mic, you know? So it's that's just, how it goes. I know. It's it funny. Well, it's a good I like, lesson.
1: I like that whole record, man, because that whole record, like it's, it's fluid. Like if you say you recorded that song in a bedroom with one mic, then I almost feel like you did most of the tunes. The whole record. Yeah, yeah. We did it in three days. And I, I just like stuff like that. Like I like when it's like, First of all, like you, you, the record kind of has one theme and it's not like lyrically, but like sound wise, like you put on the record and all the songs are like this, it's a time capsule of where Sat sure. Song was at at that time.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And I
1: really like that, man, because all of our records have been like recorded in different locations throughout a long process of a year or two years. So a lot of the songs sound different, you know what I mean? On one album, it's almost like a time capsule of like where we were for those years. Sure. you know rather we've never been the kind of band other than our first two records that like wrote a whole album and then just shacked up in a studio and tracked it all in a week like and that's what i really want to do but for whatever reason we're always so busy on the road that like, uh-huh. we just kind of get it in where you can fit it in you know yeah
0: that was how culture was i thought culture was going to be like you know i thought that i thought that it would be a thing you know i thought that record would pop especially given the election and everything you know i just wanted to make a record that was like so people could quit asking my opinion on shit. I could just be like, refer to this album. You well, know? I <laughs> think that's super dope
1: too. And like,
0: you know, that's really
1: important for that time, but maybe not necessarily timeless because it's like dated. Yeah. Well, it's, it's specified for that time, you know? And, yeah. and what, what I think is dope, man. And as you know, like you said, we're both kind of like in the same spot where we're like kind of on this trajectory where we're just coming out of the woods a little bit. And, um, one thing that reassures me when I'm, like, writing tunes is, like, you know, some people think some albums are better than others and shit like that. And now we're, we're getting into, like, writing our fifth album. And something that's, like, reassuring and comforting to me is, like, dude, every, like, you're allowed to have albums that are stronger than others. Like, it's yeah. actually, like only logical you know what i mean like and and to not beat ourselves up so much as musicians to be like well this album's better than that one like they're not all going to be the greatest you know what i mean and i got to remind myself of that man because every time i'm making a a record or even just writing a single song i'm like it's got to top everything it's got to top everything i've done you know yeah
0: it's out of our control brother yeah yeah i agree the the uh the shutdown it was really good for me as a songwriter because i just started fucking writing songs i wasn't like i didn't have any intention behind it i was just fucking writing yeah and then you know sending him to carl and carl pretty much exclusively listens to you know like americana folk Mm -hmm. singer songwriter shit Mm -hmm. and he was just like uh no bullshit dude like if this wasn't you i would listen to this like dope. this would be in regular rotation dope. and then it was crazy you know we got like the nuts and bolts and then had everyone come out we rented this big house in paradise valley and looked sweet dude we straight up made a fucking i don't want to call it a country record but it's pretty fucking close dude there's some country ass songs on there well <laughs> like, dude one, one thing i think is super cool man like obviously me
1: and you have known each other kind of by association for a little bit but i've been a fan and i've watched the journey of that song a little bit and i I really like how you're kind of stepping into that world. Like you're kind of embracing that about yourself, you know, yeah. from from a fan's perspective. That's what I see is like, yeah, that's cool to hear. I see Drew is like just embracing the shit out of Montana and like being a cowboy and like making this, this kind of vibe because like, I'm not that familiar with the uh, singer songwriter or the like spiritual scene, like that whole, you know, how we're kind of in different sure. scenes. Yep. Um, there's a select artist I've buddied up like select artists that I've buddied up with and things like that but I, I don't really see that much of that man I think that's really cool and unique and obviously the journey of a musician is just to be the most honest authentic version of ourself and I feel like I'm just watching you embrace that and that's dope
0: oh that means a lot that you say that dude because that was kind of the plan where I was like you know, it's just, you know, it's weird when you travel all the time as a musician, because people, everybody you interact with while you're traveling is relating you to your art. hundred oh, percent. And it's really weird when you're being related to shit that you wrote in your mid-20s. And you're like, we yeah, change, dude. man. Yeah. We're fluid, bro. Yeah. And it's We're like, humans. and, you know, I just kind of had this like revelation where I was like, dude, I'm literally a fucking dad. And a husband and yeah. i live in the mountains of montana and yep. i like to fucking fight yeah you know i shoot guns i hunt i yeah. fish like these are yep. just this is who i am and i've i've yep. almost like hidden some of it away in an effort to like not turn people off and i just kind of had
1: you can't lose the vegan fans out there yeah
0: dude and it's <laughs> yeah and it's so funny <laughs> that i finally just kind of like talked with my manager of just like dude if we're going to move forward and I'm going to make a new record with a label that's going to get pushed and pushed and pushed, like I need to be myself, dude. I can't, I just have to be who I am, man, because I'm going to feel weird about offering anything that isn't me anymore.
1: 100% man. That's another area where I feel like me and you are in alignment because I've been going through that journey myself as well. You know what I mean? And it's really strange to kind of, um elaborate on the idea that you said that wherever you go and you travel people relate you to you know these these works of art that you've made however long ago whether it was six months ago or fucking 10 years ago yep so people could go turn on a a song from our first record and be like oh that's Nate like Mm -hmm. and then when they come up and meet me they expect that guy and I'm like dude I was 21 when I wrote that like (laughs) yeah it's it's very very strange well and
0: and as I'm sure for you like um I can tell just by some of the riffs that you write, like that motherfucker listens to metal. 100% 100%. 100 100%. listens to metal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, man. I'm kind of embracing that too. And
1: I I, I do it tactfully in a sense because like, dude, there is a fine line that we should walk as artists where like, I'm not going to shove shit that I like down my fans' throats. You know what I mean? And also too, it's like, there is such a blurred line between what's cool when it comes to mixing genres with reggae like as a reggae artist we have a duty to preserve the integrity of this sacred music like you really yeah do. 100%. it's not it's it's not a genre that can just be like fiddled around with much you know i appreciate uh, well, it, that it shouldn't be you know um and if you are like it should be just it should just have a little more thought than like hey man i'm gonna throw this fucking dubstep part in this reggae tune or like i'm gonna throw this metal breakdown in blast beat, like yeah, that's cool to do for fun, but like at the same time, if you're an established artist, you do have a duty to pre- like to preserve the beauty of of this genre that you're playing. And so for you, Americana, it'd be like if you were going to be like, yo, man, I'm just going to throw like a bunch of weird fucking like, Busta Rhymes flows over this Americana track. Yeah,
0: yeah, like, yeah. Like
1: that's cool. Sometimes it works, but at the same time, it's like, man, like, it can it can be tacky. It can yep. be, you know. You know
0: who I've always felt like does an insane job of sprinkling their, s- their random styles into their reggae, and I think they're the most underrated reggae band in the world is Pacifier. Dude, they're great. So fucking good, dude.
1: Yeah, I I was such a fan of those dudes. Like, I remember, when I was in high school, they were like my favorite band. Yep. And uh, like, I went to war tour when I was like 16 and they were on it and I like stood in line for their meet and greet and was like, bro, you guys have changed my lives. Like I've been that fan. They were my first reggae show ever. Yeah. Um, it was them pepper and the expendables and they were the opener and I had never heard of them in my life. And they were the first of three. And me and my friends went, we're like 15, 16 and they fucking blew our minds. And from that moment on, we were like, like huge fans and so I've always like held that in my heart too of like that's what I want to do to people when I'm first three like yeah, yeah. you can show up and not know who we are but I want you to leave as like holy shit yeah um, be- because I've experienced that from the other side and so the first tour we did with pacifier I like got to
0: tell them all that and they're like fuck, we feel old. <laughs> like, like, I'm sorry, man. Yeah, it's funny, dude. I, I found that happening with Fronty all the time, too, where I wouldn't want to, like, date him, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't give a time frame for a memory. You know, I would just, yeah. like, say a memory I had at a show, and then he'd be like, oh, man, that was in, like, 2003. It, it's kind that's of funny, crazy. too,
1: man. Like, as the artist, like, it, it, as the fan, it kind of does more for us than it does for them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it never fully registers for the artist that you're telling changed your life. Like, they're like, oh, that's really cool. But, like, for you as the fan, like, you have this need to tell them, like, dude, you changed my life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little more for us. as. A yeah, fan.
0: well, there's this thing of, like, when you're growing up, the thing that Frontio is that he did for me was I was like, fuck, man. I like punk rock, but I also really like, you know, singer songwritership, but I also like hip hop and I really like reggae. And the first time I saw him, I was like, oh, you can just do all of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You
0: know, you can do yeah. all of it.
1: For sure, that's a, that's a liberating experience to see somebody like that, you know.
0: Yeah, and his story's so crazy, dude. You know, like being from the Bay. Like, you know, he used to promote raves, and he was like friends with Tim Armstrong and all the OG like Operation Ivy that's crew. That's fucking
1: rad, dude. I yeah, didn't know dude. that. Oh yeah. yeah,
0: and and a cool short story is when he he had a, a hip hop group called the Disposable Heroes of Hip <laughs> and they had a a song called. Uh, television the drug of the nation and Uh you you too picked it up and we're using it as like the intros to their show well they got to go on tour with you too
1: no shit
0: yeah and when that group you know he was like okay we just we have a video on mtv we're on tour with you too like this is clearly the thing well the band broke up Mm. and he started spearhead and he was like dude people know who i am like this project is going to do great. So he spent a bunch of his own money to rent out this like thousand person cap roller rink in the Bay. Mm. And they did their first Fearhead show. He paid to rent sound the whole fucking nine put on the show himself. Wow. And 12 people came. No. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. yeah. Yeah. You know, and he was yeah. like, um, you know, I was telling him some story about, well, yeah, dude, we had sold 400 tickets last time we were here. And then this show only did a hundred. And he told me that yeah. story. And he was like, Imagine if I would have just been like, well, I guess they don't like me here.
1: Call it a day. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's crazy, man. Cause like, I've always seen Franti from like a distance. Like I never really aligned so much with the music, but I see him as a person. I'm like, that dude just seems cool. And then I'm always like blown away by the empire that he's built, you know? The motherfucker's a businessman, no doubt. Yeah, because I don't really even know that many people that are like franti fans, but then I see the shows and I'm like, holy shit. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, you he's know? it's funny, dude, because you know, when I first started going to his shows, it was all like activists and yeah. you know, college kids that were political science majors with army green shirts and <laughs> cool. That's you know, rad. like that vibe. And now it's like, dude, he is fully targeted the like uh liberal soccer mom crowd like it's crazy <laughs> i didn't even realize yeah, i've that's never a crowd. heard that term
1: that's yeah, a crowd, that's a yeah. crowd. thousands how do of we them get, a night
0: how do we get in on that <laughs> i don't know dude but he has he's got him dude and what's cool too is he's never um you know he still is about his shit you know like he still says what he thinks and believes yep. but yep. when we were on tour with him you know there's a couple times during the show where he like delivers what he wants to say to the crowd and he uh, he's the master of the swing vote dude like if you weren't sure if you should be an empathetic caring person that should care about race relations uh uh, you go to one of his shows and you leave like (laughs) oh man you know and he just has this this way of like um you know like his sister is gay and a cop and Uh, You know, he was adopted and he has this way of like telling the story that like everyone in the crowd is just in tears, just like, oh man, yeah, I think what you think, man. I'm on your team. I don't know what your team is, but I'm on your fucking team.
1: Yeah, that's wild, man.
0: Yeah, he's the master of it. That's way cool. Dude, one thing I really love about your guys' show, and the only time I've seen you guys live was at Shang, is how fucking tight your set is. Mm -hmm. And it really, you know, we used to kind of do the the let's just write a fucking set list Yeah. and this is what we're going to play tonight. Yeah. Um. And honestly, after seeing you guys at Shang and just how fucking everything goes into the next thing and it's this like, okay, cool. We have 45 minutes. Here's 45 minutes of nonstop. <laughs> yeah. You know, arcs and lows and builds yeah. and like, you know, when you guys end your set, everyone is like, Whoa, Holy fuck. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and just how pro- and how professional that seemed to me. Well, thanks, man. I I think that there
1: there may be a gap there between the genres too, and like the scenes that we're in, because like you being more in the jam scene and things like that, that's like not as common. And I know that when we go with Twiddle, it's like they're writing a different set every night based on what's going to be funnest for them. And totally. They're okay with the dead space in between songs, you know? They'll stop and they'll like look at each other and be like, drink a beer, you know, just chill. And like, we'll get ready for the next tune. Um, but kind of in our world too, there, I think there's a couple different factors. First of all, thanks for saying that. It's really nice of you. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's definitely been a conscious thought of like, how do we, you know, just make this thing a fucking roller coaster, but it's very common, like, when you see these reggae bands with, you know, that are kind of, like, on the top tier of stuff, is it's a full production, you know what I mean, it's, like, there's the transitions, and the arcs, and and like you said, um, another thing was, even from when we first started, man, I, I, like, I just get fucking nervous, dude, like, I'm a nervous performer, and I don't like Dead Space, I want to just rock into the next tune, like, I'm not a banter guy, you know what I mean? I, I've never been that kind of guy that can just go up there and be like, so how's everyone doing tonight? Yeah, we can. this is what we ate for lunch today. Like, I just can't. It yeah. doesn't come naturally to me. I'd yeah. much rather I'm there to play the music. I'm into, like you said, heavy music and rock music. So I want to bring an energetic show. Like, I want it to flow. I want it to just smash and just keep grooving, you know? But it's definitely more common. I, like, Twiddle said the same thing. was like, dude, you guys don't stop. Like, you guys just keep going.
0: You well, it, it it alleviates too, the, like, I feel like in that dead space, it, it alleviates someone being like, oh, I'm going to go grab a drink. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, like, or I'm going to go to the bathroom now. They're like, no, True. I'm going to stay fully engaged because this thing is happening in front of my eyes and I don't yeah. want to miss it. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. For sure. Yeah, I, I am. I am a kind of a banter guy but I like write it into the set. So we'll do like three, four songs that all pretty much go right into each other. And then the chunks. And then, you know, if a song really means something, you know, I'll like, that's where I'll put the banter on the set list where I like, Uh you know, we'll tell some story to get people to think a little bit. Yeah, Um,
1: I've always experimented, you know, it's like all about just learning and being like, what kind of performer am I? You know, Uh I think just kind of sifting it out over the years of like, well, this is how I perform best, you know, but. Um, I think it's always like, I always look at guys that are able to kind of like, like go on a really profound rant that you can tell is kind of just coming out of nowhere and be like, yeah. that's fucking dope. Yeah. You know, and some nights I'm on and I can do that. And other nights it's like,
0: I've tried and bombed and been like, that is a shameful experience. I yeah, do not want. <laughs> We just did, uh, we just did these limited capacity shows in Colorado mm-hmm. and I was a little loose, man. Uh, you know, we were going into the second night at the Mish, and uh, you know, we were smoking heavy and just, you know, yeah, you I was were on loose. A good one. I was loose, man. And uh, yeah. I, you know, I, at one point in the set, I was like, I made a, a reference of sprinkling crack on my life, <laughs> and that, that fell flat. Oh and then, man! And then I asked everybody <laughs> if they if they had got their ballots in, and everyone was like, "Yeah." You and could just like, leave it thank you and And i was like yeah man you know voting is a really important thing particularly in our local election even if the presidential election is the choice between a shit sandwich and a kick in the dick (laughs) did that fall flat or fully flat nobody no sound whatsoever i thought i would have got at least a couple giggles but thank god for in-ears i was just like i didn't know until after the show my manager was like yeah dude that was (laughs) dead quiet after you said that oh man yeah we've all been there man like
1: i've definitely said some of the dumbest shit of my life on stage and and just like i've just learned from those experiences like i'm not gonna do that anymore that doesn't work for me yeah you know that's all you can
0: do is make a note and move forward i can respect that yeah what's up i want to get into the story of Ayaterra. how did how did the band form so you moved to la to go to college yep and then what happened
1: um so been playing music since i was 10 i was in all sorts of death metal and heavy bands uh in vegas you know we were doing we were doing really cool shit we're opening up for all our favorite bands and like for a young teenager that was like really it was like really cool for us you know yeah um and not knowing any better i'm like oh dude i like this is a thing like i'm just this is life now i'm just a musician so i've always been that you know but when I was 19, um, you know, people started to grow up and we're like, oh shit, like, you know, lead singer's like, hey man, I got a really good job at the movie theater and we're like, I can't make can't make rehearsal, you know? And like, yep. everyone's doing their shit. God bless him. He still works at that movie theater now. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, but uh, you know, so that was like kind of the point where I'm like, I don't know if this is it. Like, I don't know if this, and I was naive, man. I'm young and I'm like, I think maybe i missed my shot as a musician like i'm i'm old now i'm 19 like, mm-hmm. and i've mm-hmm. seriously thought that i seriously 100 percent like were you start were you gonna start a boy band where you're like <laughs> fuck, over <laughs> the hell dude no no <laughs> uh, i was gonna start a dad rock band at 19 yeah um well like a lot of the the guys in like that specific scene like in the metal and like post hardcore and like shit like A lot of them were like 22 23 you know like headlining major shit and and so as a 19 year old you're kind of like well I should be somewhere that I'm not already you know yeah yeah so it was like a weird feeling and I'm like all right well it it was hard man to like come to that realization of like I don't think this band is going to be the one and I don't I wasn't inspired to be like Hey, I'm going to go start another one. You know, I didn't even know what genre I wanted to move on to or anything like that. So my mom had moved to LA a few years before and had been convincing me pretty much like, Hey, whenever you want to like come out and get your shit together, like I'll help you out. Like you can stay at my place. Like we'll get you in college. Like I didn't have a car. I didn't have my license. I was just a bum teenager partying musician, just playing shows. Yep. And so I felt at 19 that that was my logical choice was like, all right, time to, time to do this, you know, and and go to college. And and it was really weird, man. I had like a year of like a good year of questioning my identity. I think it was like a really necessary part of like becoming a young man, I guess, not an adult yet, but I was like stripped of everything, man. All my friends were in Vegas. I had no friends in LA. I've always had long hair. I shaved my head, moved to LA. People would ask, Hey, what do you do, man? And I'm like, I'm a student. And like, it just didn't feel right, but that's what I was, you know? Had nothing else. I didn't. I was first time since I was ten years old that I couldn't be like I'm in my band. Check us out, man. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that lasted about a year um, until a couple of coworkers of mine. We went. We went to go see a reggae show. I've always been into reggae and metal for like forever. Um, and we went to go see a reggae show. I, I had been like I said. I've been going to reggae shows. My first one was at like sixteen. You know. So, but went to the first one in California after a year of not playing music and was like, you know what, man? I think this is what I want to do. It was Iration. That was the show. And, and Pacifier was on it, too.
0: Oh, that's funny. Yes. They've been such a crucial part of my
1: journey, man. But like I said, like telling them that it doesn't resonate as much with them as it does with me. I'm like, you guys don't understand how profound you have been in my evolution, you know. Um, but yeah, they were there. And that's when I realized, like, th- this is what I want to do. And I got this inspiration of like, I'm going to do a reggae band. Yeah. So that that night went home, posted a fucking ad on Craigslist. Back in the days where that was like a thing, like musicians were on Craigslist trying to meet up and start bands. Um, and the next day, I w- I wake up to an email from Nick Laportio, still my bass player to this day, and he's like, "Hey man, got all the same influences. Like I would love to start this band. I'm in this grunge band right now, but like I'll quit because I want to play reggae." I'm like, all right, cool. So we found some drummer, met up. Had our first jam session, and instantly it was just like, damn, this is what we want to do. And at that time, we were like so fucking fascinated with the genre itself. Like, we were an awful reggae band. We knew nothing about playing the genre, but playing what we did know felt so good. Like, just embrace that. Probably like you fighting. Like, you're like, I suck at this it, when you first started, but, but it, it, it must
0: continue. Yeah. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> yeah.
1: It makes me feel even just punching the bag, even though my form's probably not great. Like, I'm really enjoying this, you know? and you want to learn why it feels good and, and you look at the greats and be like i want to be how does he he's got this groove you know so we were so fascinated man and, and it all just kind of formed organically from there um me and my bass player ran the band pretty much we, we found a decent drummer for a couple of years who started off the journey with us but he was like a weed farmer so he was always real busy it was hard for him to tour when we started touring um you know and we did it as a three-piece for the first couple of years and then um, After about a year of convincing Luis, our keyboard player, who um, was always the keyboard player in my metal band since like 15, I finally convinced him to like come play reggae with me. And he's like, all right. And he moved out to LA. And so then we were a four piece. And then we met uh, Nick Sopakis, our guitar player, just he was a fan. And I posted on Facebook, hey, Ayatollah needs another guitar player and a singer. He came down, auditioned. um,
0: He's a trip, man. That motherfucker looks like he has so much fun. I love dudes <laughs> like that on stage, man, yeah, where you're like, man. yeah, he would rather be nowhere else except right where he's at. That, that dude is like a
1: puppy. Like, when he's excited about something, he runs. Like, he just sh- sh- go. he j- dives into it, man. Like, so whether it's, like, on stage or if we're, like, throwing a football out front of a show, he's, like, he's just that guy. He's turned on and he's going, you know? Yeah. Um, but so that's how the lineup came together, man, and then it's pretty much just been all organic, just What was pushing. your first
0: – what was your first um, kind of break? Because like I said, you know, about the time that you guys started going on tour with Revolution and getting on those bigger tours was literally like the same time that I was going back and forth between Fronty and Trevor tour. Yeah, yeah. So you guys were always kind of on the radar because I was like, oh, they're like the reggae version of us, you know? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's strange to have that in like a, a different universe, you know? Totally. Um,
1: uh shit man the first break i mean we we put ourselves on our very first tour um, yeah we were like that's actually in a sense like how we got linked with ineffable too was because uh thomas cousins the the founder and president uh of ineffable he he was booking at the catalyst and um he's a real one man shout out uh, thomas he's, cousins you dog he's the yeah. man yeah he really is um but it was hilarious man because and i tell this story every time we play the catalyst Uh, this is a one of those moments where my banter sometimes works um because it was me and and nick and we're like man how do we get on tour like i've always wanted a tour i see bands touring and i'm like well i don't want to just wait for the offer to come in let's just book our own damn thing
0: fuck yeah so we
1: we just sat there i remember we were driving up to cali roots festival as fans you know loved it uh and we stopped at like an in and out and got out a napkin and just rode out all the cities in california and tried to think of local bands from each city called the local bands hey can we do a show together we want to book our first tour all right cool so from like san diego to like humble we just hell yeah 14 days and literally like knew nothing like knew nothing about like hey you should show numbers like you should do this you should do that we just fucking called and we're like hey man we're this great band out of la we're just starting up we want to come play got thomas on the phone just from calling the catalyst and he first thing he, he says is yeah man what's your numbers up here and we're like what are numbers and then he was like he like laughed and was like yeah man call me back in like six months and we were like fuck that sucks that's such a cool spot but then eventually like a week before the tour started we got an email from I don't remember if it was from him or somebody else but it was like hey we actually have a reggae show that night and we need some support we'll throw you guys on so we ended up getting booked on the catalyst as first of like six bands but it was was monumental for us man Um, So we booked that tour ourselves and then we started touring with some other LA bands. But I would say the first real break was when, uh, when fortunate youth brought us out for our first ever national headline or uh, their, their headline, our first national tour, we were first of three, but we played, I mean, it was, I always say it was like the reggae warped tour because it was two and a half months long. I think it was like 70 shows or like, I don't know, 50 to 70 shows, like Mm -hmm. five or six a night. Every city to us was brand new you know. Um, yeah, well
0: what's it, what's interesting about that is I feel like reggae is the, like the only genre that still does that. Mm. The like the the warp tour vibe. Yeah. Cuz you see some of these lineups and it is. It's like four bands and a DJ. Yeah. You know, which yeah. is so fucking cool to be like, "Oh yeah, no, this will be an all-day thing. You get here at 4 yeah. and the show's yeah. over at midnight." You know, like yeah. yeah. There needs to be more of that.
1: Well, I, it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy, man. The jam bands just play for three hours a night, so it's hard to stack. You totally, like, totally. But I, dude, it, for me, there's something so special about a dope tour package. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, obviously, our first couple tours where we headlined, it was, like, all local support. That's all we could afford. But we're kind of in this weird phase now where we're, like, we can afford support. But Same. we just, like but it's kind of a sad thing because I want to book all my friends and I like call them and I'm like, Hey man, I'd love for you guys to support us, but you almost feel bad because you're like, I can't pay you what I know. I can give worth.
0: you $200 and it sucks, yeah. you know, but we but, did it too. Yeah, man. And yeah. that's the thing, you know, what's interesting, you know, why I think you and I have a connection is, you know, there's uh from a fan's perspective, you and I's story, your story started when you went out with fortunate youth. My story started when we toured with Franti and I'm like, no dude, I was fucking Self booking tours for two years, three years yeah. prior to that, and playing for fucking nobody. One hundred percent. And then I don't know the Losing details money. about your
1: Franny tour, but if Franny was like, "Hey, Drew,
0: I got fifty bucks for
1: you tonight," you would have been like, "I'm there. I don't care. Yep. I'm fucking there." Well,
0: I'm there. yeah, dude, I took um, you know, I spent all but thirty three dollars to get down and play those first three shows with him because in yeah. my brain I was like, if he sees us play, there's no way he's not going to take us on tour, and that actually yep. ended up being real. So that was a good. That's gamble. great. That's so um, dope. That's so dope. Man. But you know, it's um, yeah, it's it 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 is a weird thing when you hit that stride because you're like, okay, well, I want an opener, I want the opener to be dope, but like, you know, when I was on tour with Trev, yeah, I was getting, we were getting as a three piece, we're getting two fifty a night.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's- and I
0: run the business as a sole proprietor, so each mm-hmm. of my guys get paid. I cover hotels, I cover everything. Yeah, yep. I get paid last, so I had years of starving, you know, of just mm-hmm. like you know, I own the van. I like, you know, that, that's That's (laughs) how I set up our business. Yeah, So it's just like, it's, it's uh, it's, it
1: sucks, but it's a necessary part of being an up and coming band. And it's, it's beautiful at the same time, man, because I I remember like the feeling of going out there and like, I didn't even care that it was a hundred bucks or 200 bucks a night. To me, I was like, holy shit, we're getting paid to do what we love
0: like I wasn't I was, thinking about what we weren't taking home. I was just so glad to be like there's going to be fucking people there, lots of them. 100%. 100%. And people are going to associate me with this dude that I've looked up to for years and years. Yeah, I mean and I'm going to become friends with this guy. Like what the fuck? 100%.
1: It doesn't come until later when you start thinking like okay, well how am I going to make this into a sustainable career? In the beginning, you're just like trying to I get it j- up it's just so fun like it's just getting in there and punching the bag for the first time you don't care if you suck it's fucking fun and yeah. you can't believe you get to do it you know that's what where we were at and to me there's a lot of times when I think those were the most beautiful fucking innocent years of all man because everything down just everything man 100% of the spectrum was driven by passion and fun you know and obviously that's what we strive for still to this day. But like when, when it comes time to be like, Holy shit, we're getting a little older. How do we make this into like something that can provide for all of us as we get a little older, there comes more things. Oh, we also have to do this and we have to do this and this has to be taken care of. But back then, man, it was literally just like wanted to play music. We're a
0: bunch of kids that wanted to play music and have fun. And that's what we were doing. Well, it's funny, dude, my father-in-law, I had gotten back from a self book tour and he was like, how did it go? I was like pretty shitty. (laughs) <laughs> and and he, he was like, you know, you're going to do this. You've made up your mind that you're going to do this. And honestly, I think that these days, right now that you're in, are going to be the ones you look back on the most fondly and remember the most. You're going to yeah, get man. to a place where yeah, man. you're selling out venues and it's just another day. You're just like, yeah, this is what happens. We roll up to a venue in a bus and we get out and there's people there and yada, yada. This is just yep. life. Yeah, where it's like yeah. you're never gonna forget the outrageous stories that happen when you're like we don't have any money we have this van that keeps breaking <laughs> down like you gotta it was be so creative. awful it wasn't it so awful back then but then like you get over it and you're like that was
1: hilarious like yeah hilarious.
0: dude i had uh i had carl on the podcast and some of the stories that we both remembered so outrageous dude yeah man you know being in this we we played this festival in alaska where we were like you know we were told like oh yeah look there's a lot of locals that have really nice houses and they agree to put artists up to like support the festival uh-huh. and we ended up at this crazy old cokehead named jerry's house oh, and it was God. just a nightmare he didn't have any hot water no in alaska he t- <laughs> yeah he was like a total pervert and oh, you know it was God. like doing blow in his kitchen every night it was a fucking nightmare but we look back on it now and it's hilarious it's just you know? hilarious like, because you you
1: got through it man you mm-hmm. know and like that's pretty much the sum of the first two to three years of I think most bands is like you gotta learn those things. You gotta learn how to read somebody that invites you to just come stay at their pad. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, yeah. You,
1: you you'll start sensing things and be like, nope, been there. Oh, no, we'll been sleep there. in the
0: van. Yeah, it's cool, man. Well, you know what's what's crazy too is I used to um you know when i i always felt when i was in the 200 dollars show time period where i was like i've always been real and f- fascinated with the business mm-hmm. uh you know so i learned all about booking uh and managing and you know i just knew as we grew that i wanted to have 100 percent control of the business aspect of things so i asked a lot of questions you know mainly about show breakdowns what's a good deal what's a shitty deal um and it's hard it was hard for me looking around and being like, okay, well, there is 2000 people here. Tickets were $38. I'm getting $200. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then you're like, well, when I'm at that level, I'm gonna do it like this. And then you kind of start to see, like, no, dude, that pay and dues thing is real. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, are you gonna come out with a legit fucking merch setup so you can make some money? Are you yeah. gonna, you know, like the 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 lessons that you learn during that phase are invaluable and it's not whatever artist being greedy. It's just like, oh yeah, bro, I was there, I did it for 50. Mm-hmm. You have to do this. This is a mm-hmm. this is part of it. Yeah,
1: and there's so many moving pieces to a show when you really, obviously, when you look at that breakdown and you're like, okay, venue gets paid this, management takes this, everybody takes their piece. And then mm-hmm. as as a support band, like what are you really bringing to the table as far as like, how are you helping- You're a time that show filler. Make, yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> you're a time how, filler. How are you helping that show to make money? You know, because unfortunately that is a way that every, pretty much everybody in the industry looks at it. And as artists, oftentimes we're like, I just want to take this band because they fucking rock and they're going to make the show great. And we still obviously try to do that. You know, you yeah. like, you want to bring bands that you love, you know? And you're also like, okay, well I, the shows have to do as well as they possibly can. And it's just a, yeah. It's, I always respected that you, you stepped into that role. And I think that's very unique, man, for you to realize that early on in the career of being like, well, I'm going to get really involved in the business. You know, not a lot of folks do that.
0: Yeah, man. And it's funny. Cause I look back on, um, when we were making these early records of being like, nah, man, I want to own everything. So you tell me what you want to be paid for being on the record and I'll just give you that money up front. Even if uh-huh. I have to, even if I have to open another credit card. Yeah, And, you know, it's why this COVID thing hasn't been that shitty for me, you know, yeah. because I set up the business that way. And I remember, I come back to this memory all the time when we were making, um, we were at the tail end of making pyramids. And I was on the west side of Chicago at my sister's house and I was just crying. Was I was like, dude, am I fucking stupid? Like, am I dumb for setting my business up this way? And my brother Rick was like, nah, dog, like this is like that you're building a foundation right now. Like if you were a contractor, you would be buying your own van, buying your own tools, setting everything up. So you're ready to roll regardless of what happens. Yeah. You know, whether it's people quitting or management changing or agents changing, like you are this thing that is set up, ready to roll. Yeah. That will make everything easier later. But right now you're just getting kicked square in the dick.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of second guessing that comes along with this career choice. Um, Yeah. How old were you when you started Setsong? song?
0: Twenty. Let's see. I'm 33 now, so seven years. Like 25, 26 was when I started like playing bars and shit. Still, and you, still impressive for for a 25 year old to be thinking that way. Well, you know? I had a I had a dude that I played with. It was just a mandolin player, and mo- oddly enough, we were mostly playing reggae music, um, and we were splitting everything 50 50, but it was like, but I do way fucking more than you like way fucking more. And then, you know, when, when him and I split ways, I just was like, okay, moving forward, dude, you know, and I was lucky enough that I met a dude that was on the management team of yonder mountain string band who really, um, his name was Brian Langoliers and he really did a good job of, um, encouraging that, you know, there was, and, and was like, okay, dude, I'm going to loan you. I'll loan you this first round of merch. And here's a van you can have for two grand that you can slowly pay me on, you know? And he helped me set up the business that way, you know, but, um, again, it was like, we would get done with a three week tour. I'd come home, have to pay, uh, you know, management and booking cut and then would have to fucking, paying for the merch and then be like cool so i was gone for three and a half weeks and i have 47 (laughs) dollars yeah you know like fuck man. our first tour consisted of like 22 dudes because it was like
1: two bands together all in one rv 22 guys in one Mm. rv and we came back with i think 24 dollars but we celebrated the shit out of it because technically we're in the green right so it's like yeah Yeah, man, none of us had to pay out of pocket, so.
0: Well, and there were these pivotal moments, like, we did a tour, worst summer of my life, man, my sister passed, (laughs) I broke my elbow skateboarding, like, it just, it was like, what the fuck, man, we're making no money, but I, it was the same summer as the Alaska event, actually, right before we went to Alaska, Mm -hmm. um, and, Carl was like in this kind of depressed state where he's like, I don't really want to leave this crib. And he had his own room. So he's kind of shut in. And me and our drummer at the time were like, okay, life is totally bullshit right now. But let's go have a Seattle day, dude. We'll get some good Asian food. We'll go see the mm-hmm. troll. We'll go to a record mm-hmm. store. Yada yada. We leave the neighborhood we're fucking staying in, get on the on-ramp to the fucking interstate, and the van just starts going go, 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 steering wheel, like going crazy. No and i had made twelve hundred dollars for agreeing to do this festival and at this point in the tour i had you know maybe a hundred bucks well, why take it in to get worked on and the guy comes back and he's like uh with parts bucks. labor it'll be 11.98 and i was like okay <laughs> and i remember asking the boys where i was like you know and they were getting paid at the time 100 bucks a show and like a 20 dollar per diem mm-hmm. on show days was Uh like, yo, you know, we could reconfigure the business if y'all wanted to chip in. And they were both like, I I can't like, yeah, I can't. I have to pay bills when I get home. So I was just like, I just always had this thing in the back of my head that was like, this is when any logical person would quit and be like, okay, I got to, I got to find a different way. Yeah. But we're bred differently though. Yeah, dude. I've been, I want to, dude, I keep having that team built different where I'm just like, like, part of that delusion that helps us grow because it's like any logical person will be like,
1: this is really dumb. Go home, be an accountant. But it's, you know, and it sucks, man, because all these conversations and all this stuff about money and the business and stuff like it's not ideal, man. You get into music and you're like, I want to play and I want to write great songs that are going to move people emotionally. And like, we have to, I, I definitely, and I think a lot of artists have to try diligently to like preserve that innocence in our hearts so that we can keep making great music, man. Because if you get too wrapped up in like the logistics of things, you start thinking about music logistically. And I don't ever want to do that. I want to think about music purely on emotion, you know?
0: Yeah, I've, I've kind of developed, I'm sure you have too. I've kind of developed a switch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, where me and my old manager um, kind of started to, to separate was he is a 100% pure artist you know, and I was too business oriented for him, man. He was like, fuck, man, this is all you talk about and think about. I'm like, yeah, dog. Cause I'm not on stage. or in the studio, uh-huh. you know? And like, I That's have, true. I just developed this switch where I'm like, the minute I pick up that guitar, it goes away. Everything else is fucking mute. It doesn't matter man. whether I'm rich, poor, you know whether the yeah. fucking van's broken it doesn't matter and yeah. then the same thing before we get on stage i always take this moment to be like fuck everything else but this moment yeah like it's really important man yeah and re- and realizing out. like as i'm sure you guys have had this too where you're going to an area where you know buzz is good the spotify numbers are killer there you're like "Fuck, dude this show's going to sell out it's only a 400 cap room like this has to crush mm-hmm. And you get there and they're like, Yeah, there's 110 presale. And you're like, and for us, we're not a walk-up band. So mm-hmm. if there's 110 presale, that means there's gonna be maybe 150 people. Yeah. And and I've started this thing of remembering when I was working and what it used to mean to go to a show. And going, fuck my shit. These guys have jobs that they probably don't like. And they've agreed to take two hours worth of money that they earned at their job to come see me put on a show. It's, dude, that's
1: vital to remember that. Like, I always have to, like, have to remind myself of that. When you're out on the road, you're having a shit day, you're tired, you barely slept last night, you, like, ate shit food, there was nothing healthy for you to find that day, you don't feel it, you miss home. But then, even if there's 20 pre-sales, you're like, dude, these are 20 folks that, like, one thing for me that was pivotal was realizing that most people don't live the lives that we live of where they're like, not like clocking into work every day. So a lot of these people, those 20 people are clocking in every day. They probably put in an, a, a time off request yep. three, three months ago, right? When you announced the show, Yep. they've been looking forward to it for three months. Like, fuck my shit. I don't care if I didn't have a good day for those couple hours. It's about them.
0: You know, yep. it's about them, man. Even if there's 20. Dude, you know who's always been the king of that and he doesn't tour and the world is very, very deprived because he doesn't? Tubby Love, man. Mm. That dude gets on stage and there could be five people there. And he's gonna fucking act like he's headlining Red Rocks, dude. Yeah, man. I've had some of my best shows to like the weakest crowds.
1: I don't know what it is. I think a lot of the nerves melt away because there's like less, you know? um and then also you kind of go out there with something to prove like i tell myself i'm like i kind of have that mentality where i'm like i'm just gonna blow their minds because i've seen shows like that too where i've been in the crowd and there's like 15 of us and the band just fucking slayed for an hour and a half you know um it's like i'm going out there on a mission you know and in turn have some of my best shows ever there's less pressure there's more of like let's just rage you know
0: yep yeah i mean yeah we've definitely had some um yeah, well you can kind of, yeah, you can kind of breathe a little bit. I feel like we thrive the more people there is, the more we're like all right, you know, let's go show what we can do, man. And it's fun. You know, I'm real grateful for for Thomas for seeing the connection like what was funny was when you and I were talking about touring together, the thing that kept getting brought up is like, yeah, well you guys are both worth 300 400 tickets in these markets mm-hmm. but like 200 of them are going to be the same people yeah and thomas has always since you know for the past few years since he got hip to us has seen that and been like i don't know why dude but there's this overlap and i want them to come be a part of shit that we're doing yeah which yeah. means a lot because it's really hard i feel like there's an extra pressure for us when we play a reggae festival like when we were at arizona roots um You know, I was just starting to write a lot of these new songs for the record. Not as reggae. Not reggae at all, dude. Like some of them are some of them are straight up like country tunes, you know? Like and I was just like, well, let's fucking send it, you know?
1: (laughs) That's kind of how that's kind of like a mirror image of how we feel stepping into a place like Shang, you know, because we're a lot more of a through and through cut reggae band, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's like when we're there. I mean, there's like we had indubious playing alongside and they're they're like a reggae band too very reggae um but it's like that's like mike love and and Knox and like trevor hall like that's their Mm -hmm. that's the circuit you know and so i'm like oh shit like
0: let's play our more conscious tunes (laughs) you know yeah (laughs) yeah no you guys fucking killed it dude and i remember um yeah jojo telling me that it almost didn't happen it was strange the way well, everything and, went down. And he was, he was not even bummed from a business perspective. He's like, JoJo doesn't go to shows. So mm. JoJo's like, no, dude, I fucking throw a party and I invite the bands I want to see. Yeah, cool. So he was like, I want to fucking see these guys do the thing. that was that was his whole thing it had nothing to do with like no man you signed a contract or any of that he was like i want to see this fucking band
1: (laughs) that's that's (laughs) super righteous man but that's how it all fell into place of that's why we were on the red eye that's why it was Mm -hmm. right in the middle because we booked shang and then the tour came through and we were like fuck we're gonna be on the other side of the country but then you know after just communication we were able to work it out
0: yeah and he was so stoked Mm -hmm. yeah him and i i very rarely especially at festivals of that nature um it's hard for me to go on the other side of the fence. You know, I like, I always set up a time for it where I'm like, yeah, dude, I want to do a meet and greet. I want to meet everyone. I want to hear everybody's story. Yeah. But sometimes I also just want to watch a fucking band play, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, it's funny you guys that summer, you guys are the only full set that I watched. Mm. um aside from we were playing a festival on the east coast and there was this dead cover band that was so good dude <laughs> i totally full hoodie zipped up yep. through the drawstring up to my nose and went out and just <laughs> d- danced like a 17 year old fucking hippie man that's awesome dude that's but, fucking awesome yeah it's it's going to be interesting to see where it all shakes out because like right now you know you and i had had this conversation where i asked you is it hard being a reggae band because I was like for me I'm like dude if I want to just write good tunes people are going to be like oh well there wasn't even a message in that Mm -hmm. you know and I'm sure for you guys the thing is is if you were to make something that wasn't reggae they'd be like oh what the fuck is this yeah do you feel a pressure to like only make reggae music um it's I've learned I guess um I've learned through
1: experience. It kind of goes to tying in like, I, I love reggae. That's why I play reggae. And so for me, obviously it comes naturally. I've studied the genre. When I write, it comes out as reggae. Um, but there is times when I'm like, man, I stumbled upon this cool lick or this cool groove that I want to do. Um, but I, I just kind of feel that with this project, with Ayaterra, with this band, like I'm so grateful for our fans. And I know that they're there for reggae music I'm not going to ask too much of them to stray away from that. You know what I mean? I'm always going to write things that are true and authentic to myself. So we've done tons of songs that um, experiment and explore, you know, because what's funny, man, in reggae is like, yes, we are a reggae band. You know what I mean? But like we kind of fall in this gray area where we're not a roots band, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's there's Jamaicans that will look at us and be like, that's American that's corny American reggae but then we're also too rooty for some of the pop American fans that are like oh these guys are like really reggae yeah (laughs) I think you guys walk
0: that line really well dude it's it's, it's
1: very interesting you know it's very interesting place to be
0: at yeah because you know without blowing up anyone's spot there's a lot of the pop reggae dude that I'm just like I can't get down with and there's, yeah, a course, there's a lot of bands there's a lot because i how i got into reggae was all my sister's friends were skinheads mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so the they reggae that the i got zones. into yeah the uh, mm-hmm. you know prince buster and desmond decker and yep yeah, the Scatellites and, and, and all that yeah. yep all mm-hmm. that old shit um and then you know i found bob and then steel pulse and steel pulse is my favorite reggae band um best tour we've ever done yeah dude fuck yeah. they
1: put on a show dude so um, legend to spend two months with those guys, dude, was yeah. fucking unreal.
0: Yeah, we got to do a few shows with them too, man. I got to smoke a joint with David Hines, and that to me, I was just like, I remember like telling my mom, like, fuck everything. Yeah, I don't even care what happens after that's, this. Like, that is that is a true reggae rock star. Like,
1: yep. that's reggae reggae royalty. Yeah, hundred percent in the presence of a fucking
0: legend. Mm hmm, and and they're uh, yeah, they were all real cool, but seeing how they curate a show made me be like yeah dude that's the way is to yeah. On a show." yeah dude um yeah but i think you know there's a lot of bands out there um that like uh that are that are super roots right like the expanders or the expendables i always forget which one expanders the expanders dude um him and i were going to do some root fire interview together uh-huh and he couldn't make it cause there was some schedule conflict, but I was so excited cause I was just like, Oh yeah, fuck. Yeah. We're just literally going to talk about rock steady for yeah. an hour, you know? Yeah, man. Um, but yeah, no, you guys walk that line really, really well. Cause there's nothing, there's no corny. I'm at a party and we're drinking beer. Yeah. Like it's, um, it's based in your music is really based in this, which is why you were invited to shang is there's this spiritual kind of ethereal nature to it. And it also leaves you feeling good. Not like, Oh cool, dude, I want to get drunk and go skateboarding. It's like, there's a message in there. That's like, you know, don't be a dick and do good. Well, that's, that's the, the, probably the most crucial
1: part of, you know, preserving the integrity of the genre. You know what I mean? Like the genre is it, it like, it's a cliche to use the word, but it is sacred. You know what I mean? Like, 100%. To a lot of people and to a lot of cultural movements and to a lot of human liberation efforts, this music has been the driving force. So it's no disrespect to anybody that takes it and interprets it in their own way, because I also feel that you have to be yourself, man. Like, Mm -hmm. if I see somebody that's never struggled and has never kind of witnessed any hardships or anything, and they're up there singing about, I'm so oppressed and I'm so, you know, this life is blah, blah, blah. And you're like, but that's not real though. Can we just embody where we come from? Like me and you come from different states, different places, different times, different Mm -hmm. scenes. Let's be who we are and play music that means a lot to us while respecting the genre that we're playing. You know what I mean? Like I'm never going to try too hard. I'm never going to write a song about what it's like to live in Jamaica and feel oppressed. Um, That's not who I am. Yep. You know what I mean? But but I can I can take themes and I can take inspiration from that music and do my best to apply it to what it means to me, you know, and yeah, where I go. That's grew beautiful. Up. That's what it is, man. It's like you have to consciously think of those kind of things, you know?
0: Yeah. And I mean that was kind of the like I don't know, that was kind of what made Slightly Stupid so cool was it was like on Unapoli- a Like, if you've ever been to fucking California, San Diego,
1: dude. then that be- is the
0: fucking vibe, you know? It's like, yeah. that is cultural music. And those are guys who love Jamaican music. Mm-hmm. Like, the members that write the tunes
1: in that song have studied this genre for 20, 30 years. They mm-hmm. love Jamaican music. And, and they, they get props from other Jamaican dudes. Bro, and they do their part by bringing out Jamaican artists and covering yep. – authentic Jamaican songs and so it's like I think they're a great example which is you know no secret that that's why they're successful is because they're being themselves and they're honoring the music that they take inspiration from and I think in its simplest most dumbed down format that's the best way to explain it it's like how do you play what's authentic to you while
0: still giving props to the people that inspired you to do what you do you know yeah 100% man and it's it's funny too as a fan you know I always thought that the slackers were a very big band. You know, I thought that they were, like, super famous. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to a Slacker show and was like, oh. But in my mind, these guys <laughs> yeah. are, like, the ultimate. I was like, no, nah, this, this is the dopest band ever. Yeah, um, yeah man. So what's up with you guys' new record before you go? Yeah, man. We've just been um, writing, dude. It's so
1: nice to have time um, and to have a little bit of, like, it's the first time in our career where like we're not looking at an album and being like, okay, we've got a thousand dollars. What's the most efficient way to make a record with this thousand dollars? Because we have a little time and because we're like kind of financially fluid, like we're just spending as we go, we're able to take our time, spend our money wisely on making the record. And so the way we're doing it this time, man, is, is shout out to Ian Young. He's producing the new record. We're going on a San Diego every couple months and and shacking up in his studio for about a week and and recording um, but the format of doing it is like I'm at home I'm writing a ton of songs I'm bringing them to the guys we're shaping the songs together and then we're going down to, re, to San Diego to record them in batches so it's like we're writing recording and then we move on to the next batch writing recording move on to the next batch um, and the way that it's kind of taking place now is, is at the end of this process we'll have about 22 songs to look at and be like, Ooh, which ones are going to make the cut, you know? Um, and that's exciting for us, man, because we're one of those bands that's always on the road. So it's always been like, let's crush while we can, and then we'll put out the record and we'll keep moving. But this time, you know, with COVID and, and with everything, we're able to take our time and, and pretty much record everything, you know, which a lot of bands don't really get to do. You got to choose what are our best songs we're going to record and mix those nah, man, we're recording everything, and we're we're mixing and mastering until completion. so at the end of the day, we'll have twenty two fully releasable tunes and choose the best and that that's just kind of cool. Um, it might not be ideal, but it's I'm, I'm one of those guys that's like every album should have a pretty different process, you know what I mean so yep. it's different it's different for us um, and I'm excited to see what comes out of it, you know and and what this method of recording and writing turns out to be you know because every record has been different so this it's just another chapter for us really you know
0: yeah that's awesome dude all right I have standard questions that I ask every musician and I'm glad that I have a musician on because I haven't had one on in a while I am a fighter too I've been to one (laughs) (laughs) jujitsu shout out to the 17 year old Kyle yeah whatever (laughs) Kyle Tyler whatever his name was all right hit me bud all right what was the first record or song that made you cry Mm. Um. Fuck,
1: that's heavy. um Stairway to heaven. <laughs> stairway Sowing. to heaven, man. When I was like fourteen, heard that track and was like, "What is this feeling?" Yeah, magic. You know, like, yeah, ma- I mean, pure magic. Pure magic. Yeah, dude. And, and, and think songs.
0: about it, the thing that's cool. Uh, when I think back on like them or the Stones. You know, so much was just done in the studio, like live takes. Yeah. And you just got to imagine being the fucking engineer sitting behind that glass. Like, holy fuck, dude. Yeah. What is this? Did we just make history?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's something that's so fascinating to me about like timeless music and songs like that, that I'm like, I just hope that in our generation, there's
0: still people able to make things that magical, you know? Yeah. It makes you wonder. I think of that often too, you know, what will be on the classic music stations when we're old people
1: it's it's an interesting thing man. i because i don't have a for sure answer of if that's possible
0: or not when it comes yeah to like, you know i can't see like new metal or like you know papa roach being on the classic rock station or something you know
1: unfortunately it probably will be but it's not gonna like give us goosebumps and make us cry and think about totally
0: this crazy shit you know totally what was the first record uh that made you know you wanted to do music
1: Metallica Reload. <laughs> Ooh, fuck yeah, bro. Yeah, I was in sixth grade and a buddy gave me that record and I was just like, I had never heard anything like that before and was like, all right, this is it for me.
0: Yeah. Did you grow up skateboarding at all? Oh yeah. 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 I, I, I got so much music from, uh, skate videos and there was an, there was an old zero video that had seek and destroy Oh, yeah. And I remember getting that tape. <laughs> and skating and being and like. And just being like, <laughs> this is so fucking hard. You yeah, know, man. Like, I remember just hearing
1: guitar riffs like that. I was like, holy fuck. Yeah, different you know, it's, level. It's not their best record ever, you know, but it was the first one of its kind that I had. Mm-hmm. Sixth grade, I was fucking 11 and was just like, oh, my God, this is a thing. Let's Super dig. intense.
0: Let's dig deep. What is your favorite album of all time? Hip-hop album of all time, sorry.
1: Ooh, favorite hip hop album. I'm going The Chronic 2001 by Dr. J. Classic.
0: Good yep. California record.
1: Yep. West Coast till I die, baby.
0: What are your three favorite records right now?
1: Ooh, um, let's see. One record that's been on constant rotation for me is, uh, there's a record called Youth by a band called Citizen. It's kind of like a, uh, I don't even know how you would classify it. I guess the broadened term for it would just be emo. It's just an emo record from like 2016. But to me, it's, it's fucking iconic. And I'm super late to the party because I'm sure in 2016, when they dropped it, all the emo fans were losing their shit. But for whatever reason, I discovered it this year, um, a couple months ago, and I just I can't leave it alone. It's it's such a good record. Um, you'd probably dig it too. It's coming from a punk punk background you know Um, check that out it's not like your cliche emo where i'm sad and this and that it's got this real raw like real fucking artsy feel to it and it's just like you could tell it's a bunch of dudes with instruments playing loud and putting out an album it's great love that um grateful dead 77 live at cornell great great Uh, answer i've been on the biggest dead kick of my i mean i'm a deadhead through and through i've got bertha right here but but dude they're one of those bands that you can keep listening to and be like like their catalog is so large and you can always discover new shit. And I've been working a lot with Mahali. Mahali's my my good buddy and I'm helping him produce a record. And, um, obviously he's a wealth of jam band knowledge. And I was like, yo, what's the best live dead record? And he's like, check out Cornell. And I'm like, Oh fuck. And I uh, time and time again, man, it's been the one. Um, and, uh, let's see here. Deathcore band, the Acacia Strain, just put out a new record this year in 2020 called Slow Decay, which is I think is one of the dopest works of art to be put out in years. And it's the most, it's the heaviest fucking thing I've ever heard. Um, Incredible album, Slow Decay by the Acacia Strain. Those are probably my top three at the moment.
0: Love that. Dude, uh, Working Man's Dead has been a huge inspiration for me during this process. I remember this. Yeah, well, because... At the time that they made that record, they were like the premier psychedelic rock band of the Bay Area. Yeah. And then they just made this fucking country record and yeah. Jerry started playing pedal steel all the time. And Dope. they were like, uh, you know, a lot of people at the label were like, what are you guys doing? You know, <laughs> like, yeah. you can't just make a fucking country record. And it's funny cause there's pedal steel all over our new record. And I, there's a song, the title track for the record uh, namely, the pedal steel song is country as fuck, like it, Yo, I it, can't wait to hear it, man. I can not text to me. you texted me a couple, but I've just been nonstop go, go go, and this
1: is gonna be a crazy week for me, but I'm one hundred percent gonna throw those on in jail yeah, dude. It.
0: the I'll send you the the re uh, reupped version of all right now with the pedal on it, but it was like, I just had all these signs, dude, and this is gonna sound like the most hippy-dippy bullshit ever, but like <laughs> I'm into it, dude. We Don't were worry. we were we were unloading gear into the the truck, and I hadn't listened to that album in weeks, but my phone in my pocket started playing Uncle John's Band. We're lo- I'm loading gear into the fucking barn that we're about to record in and uh, a fucking sat song recording like, in a barn dude <laughs> fucking uncle john's band and i shit you not i like started looking up like what yeah is god playing fucking the dead right now yeah. and then i like pulled out my pocket and that record was playing and i had all this apprehension of like man am i really gonna make this record yes you are friend and i like i had thrown a fit with the label because they wanted me to work with this producer and the demos that he was sending me were like super poppy electro Vibes, you know, and I was like, no, dude, I'm not making that kind of record. Like, and I threw this big fit and I was like, if that takes the deal off the table, then fucking take it off the table. But like, I have to make this, I'm producing it and it has to be this way. Yeah. That's a deal breaker, then that's a fucking deal breaker. Yeah. And we got it all hashed out and they're totally on the team now. But yeah, that moment when my fucking phone just started playing that record, I was just like, this is a sign, dude. Pedal steel, fiddle throughout fuck it we're doing it yeah. you know it, that's not that hippity dippity man i go deeper than that so for me that is just
1: a solid affirmation you know what i mean that's, yeah that's that's good shit i
0: pay attention to those signs man you're doing the right thing hell yeah bro well i'm so glad we got to finally uh actually connect and chat and um yeah dude i can't wait to hear your guys's new shit as well and um send my love to all the boys and yeah Let's talk soon. Mahali and I are actually hanging out, I think next month in Vermont. I'm doing, doing a some, show. I'm doing something out there. But this guy was like, Mahali going to be there. And then Mahali texted me like, Hey, I hope this thing in Vermont works out. So he's, he also said that he would rent out the studio for us in the morning. So cool. maybe we'll fucking make a tune.
1: That's awesome, man. That's awesome. But Well, shit, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm a fan first and foremost. I, I really likewise. enjoy the podcast. I like the music.
0: Um, Stay connected, brother. Yeah, big love, man. We'll talk soon. All right, that was Nathan. Um, Rad fucking guy, right? I really dig that dude. Great energy. Great tunes. Just good head on his shoulders, too, man. It's really refreshing to me to meet other musicians. Uh, They're just down-ass dudes, man. And Nathan's a down-ass dude. And I also really enjoy hearing the perspective of um, modern reggae artists that hold the music in such esteem and with such respect and are carrying it. Um, yeah, with the conscientiousness and knowledge of, uh, of where it's from and its roots. It's important. Uh, anyway, next episode of the podcast will be TJ motherfucking Dillashaw, two-time bantamweight and UFC champion, one of the baddest human beings on the planet. um, getting ready for a comeback he's on a two-year suspension and he that suspension is up in January so I would assume and uh fuck hopefully January if not January February we'll see him coming back and you know I'm not just saying this because I'm a TJ Dillashaw fan I don't think there's anybody in the bantamweight division right now that can fucking touch TJ um you know Peter Yan has the belt I just, I think TJ's a hard fucking walk in the woods for anybody in that division right now. Like, I just, there's levels, um, and I don't think anybody in that division is on his level um, at all. So, yeah, two-time bantamweight champion. I'm sure going to be three-time bantamweight champion by the end of the year. Um, That's all I got, man. TJ fucking Dillashaw is going to be on the podcast. What in the hell? Look what y'all did. All right, stay tuned. Oh, as always, more dope shit coming down the pipe. Like, subscribe, share, and we'll talk soon. Big love. Take care of each other. Be kind to one another and make sure you're drinking water. Go get some.